Let's jump right in. We're going to catch you up real quickly from last week and what we're doing. We have landed on a scripture verse that says from Matthew 25, from the beginning of the foundation of the world, the kingdom of God was being prepared, Matthew chapter 25. Before you ever got here, God was thinking kingdom. Don't think it showed up with Jesus. God was thinking kingdom before there was ever a human and before there were created beings. But in that, we came up with this scripture. This, again, is our, one of our main texts, Job 38, 33. It says, do you not know, this is God talking to Job, do you not know the laws of the universe, and then I love this, can you use them to regulate the earth? And we have landed on these few things. So these are just kind of hop-popping hop, through it, that God set up limits to the universe. Those limits were his ordinances and his laws, and he uses his laws to regulate the earth, to bring the rule and the authority. And we've landed on this. We've landed on, first off, that the spirit world, God established limits in the spirit world. We're going to talk about all 12 of these dimensions, but we, we took the spirit world last week. We're going to take the created world this week, but this is what we landed on in the spirit world to catch you up. In the realm of the spirit world, in every limitation, we find out the essence and character of God. And the essence of God we found out from the limits on the spirit realm is God is most high, right? He's righteous, he's holy, he's truth, and he's the judge. So before ever Adam came alone and before there was ever roaming around little animals that he created in days one through six, God was this in the realm of the eternal spirit world where the angels and the gods and the spirits and the principalities and powers resided. And now we get to jump into lesson four. I hope it inspires you, and I hope it challenges you. I think this will be very applicable to all of us. We're going to look at the limits that God set out in the created world. By that, we mean the book of Genesis chapter 1. I'm not by far going to do an exhaustive study of this. I started laughing as I was preparing it because in my preparation of tonight's message, I thought, gosh, I got not nine more messages out of one chapter and I just got to leave that to the book of Genesis. So I'm going to give you a surface level tonight. You can dig it out deeper. But I do want to talk about the six days that God worked to create. Of course, the seventh, he rested. And in that work, those six days, the limits that God set, which would be evening and morning, and then the next day, evening, morning, and then the next day, and all of those limits... We find the revelation of what God is wanting to convey to us. I'm not going to go into all the details of every day. I did that in the book of Genesis, but I am going to look at the limits of the spirit world. So let's just jump into it and uh, take you on a journey tonight of understanding what can we learn from the created world, the six days of creation that will give us insight to God's nature and character and his kingdom. Hebrews chapter 1. It says, he also says to the son, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and you made the heavens with your hands. One thing we can say about the creation is that it wasn't haphazard and it wasn't from an amoeba or a cesspool of moss. It was very thought out, but it was thought out purposely. It wasn't just a big bang and then everything just kind of scattered together and started coming together. According to scripture, if you're a Christian, the Christian belief is that, that the hands of God was working to fashion it. It wasn't just he threw some ideas out there. But it goes deeper because it involves something pretty critical that I think will give us great insight. This is Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the visible image. Again, we kind of brought that out, the invisible world, the spirit world. Christ Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So we, we have a problem at hand is how can you know of an invisible God? Well, we would have to say, well, you could know it by feeling. Like if you can't see him, but you could feel it. I think we all kind of have that kind of awareness. Like you know something's in the room, but you can't see it. It's, it's a, uh, we would call it a sixth sense. We would call it, a, I, got, I got my little red flags are going off, whatever it would be. But God is invisible, so how do you know something invisible if we can't see it? 
so God has to have a way, and this is where we're going tonight, how does an invisible God make himself known? Well, we would only have a couple of ways he could do it. Number one, he could do it by painting or writing. If he wanted to make himself known, if I was invisible right now, there's several ways I could do it. Do it, number one, is I could just start drawing on the wall, which we saw that God did that in the book of Daniel, right? A finger comes down and begins to write on the wall. So I could draw a picture on the wall, and I could draw myself and my beard and my little pudgy belly and my glasses, and, and you could go, well, that's what, that, that's what is here. And people would walk by and go, well, what is that? And you would say, well, that's the image of the invisible person that leads this place. And then they would look at you like you were an idiot, like you believe an invisible person leads this place. And you're like, well, yeah, that's, that's it right there. It's why they had idols. It's why they had things in the Old Testament. Uh, you remember when they come out of the land of Egypt, they make a cow and say it's the cow that brought us out. Because invisible, you have to come up with something to be able to have tangible. Because we don't do well with invisible. We need tangible we, we want to feel it, tangible. My hair just stood up. But there's also another way I could do it. Not only could I write it down, which is going to be a, a way that God communicates, I can speak so that um, just, it's, I'm going off camera. I'll be back. <laughs> They're not going to let me in. That's sad. <laughs> It's my own church. I don't even know how to get in. So this is, how, this is how you could know me. You could know me by simply hearing my voice. So I am in a black shirt. I have a white beard. I have on shoes with no socks. I'm six foot tall. I'm 247. Okay, 290. Okay, 210. I... <laughs> so the way you could know me is, is I could just talk to you. You wouldn't even have to see me. You just have to hear my voice. So as we bring ourselves through the Bible, God has to have a way to take his invisible nature and get it known. Well, in the spirit world, before you and I exist, spirits can see other spirits. But in our dimension, we don't get the ability to see spirits. We get feelings. I feel a ghost. I feel a spirit. I feel whatever. So God introduces himself in the beginning with a sound, with a word. Then he will introduce himself in written form. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. So he gives us the sound form, the verbal form to know him in the beginning. He gives us the written form of the Ten Commandments. But this goes a step further because he now says, I give you the Son that is the express image of my invisible nature. He is, he, he links it back to that throne. He is supreme over all. Through him I made everything. And then in the red at the bottom, everything was created through him and for him. Now we know that God is not using an architect to create the world. Neither is he using an amoeba or a monkey. He is creating of in and of himself. His invisible nature is creating visible things. Out of the invisible comes the visible. So the moment God begins to say, how can I get my invisible nature to be known? I think I'll speak. So in the first three verses, you get God said. And then when you come into the book of you know, John, you get the word, the, the, the sound of God. The word became flesh that we would call Jesus. But Jesus didn't exist as Jesus here in the eternal past because Jesus is the flesh of the word. Jesus that we know sitting out there on a throne in the eternal past before he became the visible, he was the sound of the Godhead. He was the word. He, he was the express verbal nature of the Godhead. So if you were going to know God, you had to know his voice. So here's where we're going tonight. The seven days of creation will reveal to us the sound of God. It's the first time we're introduced to his sound. Creation is God's voice becoming visible. Now, what is God's voice? This is what's weird. I think if we're, 
If we're raised in church, we say, and, and the Word became flesh, and, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. But if we say that, what we really mean is we don't mean like Word. We mean the, the vocality, the verbal, the sound. So when we say the sound of God became flesh, the voice of God became flesh. But before flesh, Jesus, in the New Testament, John 1 we have the voice of God becoming visible. Here's what's weird. In creation, but the seven days of creation will be an expression of the Son of God. I'll move on with that one. And the limit of this creation is God is going to teach us nothing can go beyond the sound of His voice. If you do, you're in rebellion. So what we learned from the first realm of the supernatural is the limit is the throne. What we learn in the created realm, the limit is his voice. And you go against his voice, you will be judged. You go against his throne in the unseen world, you will be judged. So what he's doing is he's bringing the unseen into the scene, but going to teach us it's the same, I'm the most high, but the way you will know is you will know my voice. That will carry itself all the way through Scripture. The prophets will hear his voice. Uh, Jesus will even teach us, if you really, I know my Father's voice. I don't do anything except what the voice tells me to do. What he tells me to do is what I do. And then he tells us in Revelation, you must listen to the voice of the Spirit. So God is a God that speaks and he introduces himself. Here's what he says, John 1. I won't belabor this. I've been alluding to it already. In the beginning was the Word, the sound. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was there in the very beginning. And that sound was life. That sound was light. Come on, that's the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1-3. And God said, Word, let there be light. And there was and there was light. John 1 is the flip image of John trying to describe it as well. In Jesus, he was the Word, and the Word was light, and the Word was life. The same thing happens because it's the voice of God being revealed. In Genesis 1, his voice is being revealed by light, and in John 1, his voice is being revealed by light, and one manifests in creation, and one manifests in the flesh of a human. But both of them are going to express the kingdom of God. It's why when this creation, God in the flesh comes, he said, for the kingdom is here now. It's among you. Both of them are the expression of the kingdom. Both of them are the voice. One voice expresses in six days. And then the culmination of a human, this voice expresses in the birth of God in the human flesh. And they're both working the same thing. But to read on, here's what we know. The sound of God is his word. This is not my message, but this may help you. Shy away from people who say they heard God. And the only thing they're going off of is what they feel. You can hear some stupid stuff and think it's God. And I'm going to teach you how do you know. Well, the sound of God can never be separated from the Word of God. Amen. All right, this is something we got to know. So if you ever have somebody say, well, God said, you better go to the Word of God to make sure that what they said they said is something God would say. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a feeling and they ate too much ice cream and they're trying to blame it on God. Now, we know this is true because when God, in the beginning, creates Adam... The only way he could communicate with Adam as a spirit is through his voice. He comes down in the cool of the day and he talks with Adam. He gives him a command. I don't know if Adam could see him or not because God is a spirit. I'm uncertain. I don't know if they just walked by the sound of his voice because he even said, I heard the sound of you as you walked through the garden. I don't know if he saw him, but he definitely heard him. Now, the reality of this is that when you go off of what you hear only, you can pervert that and, and 
every human can pervert what we hear. If you want to know it, get married. And have the man go, no, that's not what I said. That is what you said. Oh, no, I did not say that. Yes, you did. Well, that's not what I meant. That's every marriage. So you can imagine when God marries himself to humans and humans start assuming and God's like, no, that's not what I meant. Because that's what Eve says. Eve says, well, he said, God, we couldn't touch it or eat it. And God's like, oh, no, no, I never told you couldn't touch it. I told you couldn't eat it. But because she perverted what she heard and said touch and eat, the moment she touched it and didn't die, she was deceived because she thought, well, if I can touch it and not die, I must be able to eat it. So know this, the way the devil gets all of us is he perverts the sound. And here's what's weird. The devil can sound almost identical to God. He can pose as an angel of light and sound critically like him. So what does God do? God takes his voice that's verbal, and the next thing he says is, okay, let's forget about the whole verbal thing. I'm going to write it in stone so nobody can pervert it. You can see exactly what I was thinking. Write it down, Moses, and take it to him. So how does God get his sound out? Well, first through creation, and then second, the new creation, Jesus the old creation is earth, Jesus, dirt, or creation is dirt, Adam. And then the new creation is Jesus, the, the second Adam, or the last Adam. Right. Next thought. You, in learning about in the beginning was the word, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've definitely heard that means logos. And then we define it all kind of ways. This is a definition I'm going to hold on to. If you want to know what the word was... So really what we're defining here is we're defining Jesus before he was Jesus because the word, Logos, became flesh. So I know I don't want to go deep and lose you. I don't. Let me just try to hang on it here. Because you and I have behind us 2,000 years of Jesus in history and we have the Bible... The moment we think Jesus, we naturally see him in a human body with a beard and a robe and with his finger out or holding a baby. And he's smiling with some fish. That's just, the moment you say Jesus, your brain, your human brain just naturally draws an image because there, it would be very hard to draw the image of Logos. If I said, well, what is Jesus? And you're like, never seen him. Well, he's the word, okay? Draw that for me. Draw the word. So that if I left you at that and I just said, um, dog, that's all I said. And, and you're like, okay, what do you mean? Dog. Everybody in here immediately formed the image of your dog or a dog that attacked you or a dog you can't stand or a dog that was the love of your life. But you... So that if we're not careful, your dog becomes your God because it's so real to you, but it was not the dog I was talking about. And that becomes a perversion of religion. When we start assuming who God is by our own feelings and nature and experiences, we come up with all kinds of perversions. So this word will become flesh so it can be touched and seen and known. We will get there 12 weeks ahead. But for tonight... This is going back to the book of Genesis. The word is the divine reason. It's the thought. It's the idea. It's the plan. So if you want to say, well, who was Jesus? Who was the word, God, the word in the past, before Jesus in the flesh? We would say that Jesus passed the word before he became flesh was the divine thought, idea, and plan of the Godhead. He was the, the idea of the Godhead that would be expressed. And he would be expressed through verbal, through spoken word, but it would be like a coordinator. So that, bear with me. God, spirit, soul, spirit, Jesus, word, spirit. Father, son, spirit. The Father is the divine mind and the Logos, but he coordinates the universe through the Logos so that his thoughts and his purposes begin to become expressed 
through the, the logos by the coordination of his voice. So that how we said how God regulates the earth, he does it through placing limits of ordinances, commands, but he orchestrates the earth, coordinates all the parts with his voice. You go through, all the way through the Old Testament, and he spoke, and he spoke, and he spoke. How did he direct the kings? The prophets spoke. So the way you could see it is you've got God the Father, and he begins to orchestrate the universe. Let there be light, and that logos comes out, but that logos is like a conductor. And it's putting together a symphony of a creation that's going to express God. So this is what we could say. The word... It's the sound that coordinates the universe. So that that word will become flesh. And that flesh will be called Jesus. So what we would say is Jesus will be the one that will coordinate the entire universe. And we know this is true because the Bible teaches he was there in the beginning through wisdom. He held it all together. He formed it all together through him, for him, of him, and by him. He's coordinated it all. So this is what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about the sound that God made at creation that will reveal who he is that will show us the nature of his kingdom. So what we're going to do is take the six days, and the reason I chose six is not seven is because seven is distinctly different than all the others. It stands on its own, actually. So the six days of creation will create a sound. We're going to figure out what that is. But with, if we deep dive it, the first three days create a sound that God wants us to know something about himself. And then the last three days are a sound. So all seven of them together make a sound, a symphony. But like any symphony... You've got violins and you've got trumpets and you've got trombones and you've got, and you've got a conductor that's making sure that all of them are playing the beautiful piece of Mozart. So in creation, the mind of God and the thought of God begins to orchestrate it and he begins to speak. And every time he speaks, it's another instrument of his creation. And the logos, the word, begins to coordinate it all so that by the time the coordination of six days are over, we have the full symphony of what was being done. So that we could hear what God sounded like and what he wanted to accomplish. And in the seven days, that's the whole symphony, but we can pull out. I'm not going to do it tonight. It'll take too long. I could pull out each day that each day makes a distinct sound in the full symphony, but we're going to take three and three. And then those three and three together create the final sound of creation. It is the closing symphonic note of what is God trying to tell us. And then that, if you want to catch it, is going to be the exact representation of Jesus Christ. So the seven days together, pulled out to the three and three, pulled out to the sum of the parts, we will see a perfect representation in the book of Genesis of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Yes. Well, I don't want to lose you, but I'll let that sink in a minute. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, so get that in your eyeballs. We're going to start pulling it out. Let's talk about the seven days first. I'm going to run through each day pretty quickly. But I've highlighted everything that is the same. So these are the six days of creation. But in every day, this nature of his character is expressed. So day one, then, Genesis 1-3, God said. But after God said and did whatever he's going to say, he sees it. In other words, it becomes a reality. It's unknown. It's invisible. But remember, invisible is going to become visible. So in every day, we're going to see a pattern. I've highlighted them all the same. Yellow, God said. Green, he saw or called it something. And then blue, there's an evening and morning. And then he always marks it as the day. So that is the pattern that we're going to pull out to see what does God want to tell us in that. Here's day two. Same thing. God said. Let there be a firmament. God called the firmament. In other words, the invisible became visible. 
And then every day ends with an evening and a morning. We discuss that in depth in the book of Genesis. And then he calls it the second day. So we can also say by this pattern that God is very methodical. It's not haphazard because he doesn't move on the evening and morning until whatever he said has been accomplished. So take this in mind that there's a lot of people who say, I've heard God, but I never see anything happen. And what happens in that season is the season will not change. The evening will not become morning until the word of God has been accomplished. And I'm not talking about sunshine morning. I'm talking about, well, God said this, and I don't understand why it's not happening. The reason it's not happening is God never moves you forward until what he says has been validated by what it is. And here's where it's going to get interesting. The what he says versus the what he saw it to be in the middle of it is the process of evening and morning where you and I have to work it out. So that's faith without works is dead. So when God goes through it, he calls out the third day. And God said, there it is again. And then God saw in the green, God said in the yellow, evening and morning, blue. And then pink, the third day. Here's the fourth day again. God said, God saw it. In other words, whatever he said became a reality. The visible becomes real. You can see it now. What didn't exist does exist. What was in his mind, what was in his thoughts became out and became an existence. And then after that, after whatever he said became reality, we declared an evening and a morning. And again, I'll tell you, this is a great pattern. The pattern is that when God speaks, God expects because God is true to himself. It's why when he can say to Abraham, look up. He goes, okay, what? You see all that? Yeah, I do. All the stars? Yep, I see them. That's how many kids you're going to have. He's like, dude, that's impossible. I can't, my wife can't even get pregnant. Yeah, yeah, dude, I know that. But you don't understand. Whatever I say happens. And in Romans 4, it says he became everything God spoke. That merger. All right, the fifth day. Oh, sorry, skipped one. Just so you can see it, I'm not teaching the creation, but again, God said it in the yellow. God saw it in the green. And then he concluded it with evening and morning being the fifth day. If you want to study this on, well, I'll talk about it in a minute. I think we're going to touch on it. And here's the final day, the sixth day. God said, there's the yellow. God saw it in the green. And the evening and the morning are the sixth day. So the pattern becomes this of the six days. This is the sound that is being put out from the mind of God. Here's the pattern of all six days. God said it. God saw it. He declared an evening and a morning. And then he marked it as a day, a number. Now so clear is this that once he gets to six... He doesn't keep going 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. This pattern stops at day 6. So whatever he's doing here, it is a consistency of a display of his kingdom that he's going to let me know how his kingdom functions. His kingdom always functions with a verbal sound from his voice and then an expectation of reality to happen, and then a season or a process of time that begins to roll, and then it's concluded. It's why when he steps up to Eve and says, your seed will crush his head, it didn't matter to God how long the evening and morning was. It would be 4,000 year evening and morning. But the moment God said it, it would happen. It didn't matter if it went through prostitutes and kings, and it didn't, it didn't even matter to God. Once he spoke it, it was. Nothing could stop it. So here's the thought of that. The word, and this will be on every one of them, this line, is the sound that coordinates the universe. But here's what we find out about the sound. And this is where it gets really intriguing. The sound that you hear is a sum of the parts. And the sum of the parts will always equal the reality of the whole. In other words, you can't clearly know all there is to know about the invisible God if you stop at day one. 
You can know something about him, but not everything. And if you go to day two, you can know a little more about him, but you won't know his wholeness because you stopped at day two. The same goes three, four, five, and six. Depending on where you are in the creation order, the only way we could ever know the totality of God from the creation order is to get to Genesis that, day six that says, and the evening and the morning concluded, and I could go through every one of those days and go, this must be the completion of what God wanted known about him in creation. So what happens is, a lot of people hear God, but they hear one thing, and that one thing that they hear is not the sum of all the parts. And so it's why Jesus won't let them go single by single. They have to go two by two. It's why you say if you want any matter established, it has to be by two people, not just one. Everything has to be the sum of the parts. It's why we had to have a king and a priest, and Jesus would be both. The sum of the parts, in other words, everything that God is doing is the sum of the parts to pull it off. Uh, you go to, here's how it plays out. We'll get there, but in the book of Genesis 6, he says to Noah, here comes the voice, I need you to make me a boat. Yes, sir. Here comes the limits. The limits of the boat will be 450 by 75 by 45. There, there's your limits. Yes, sir, got the limits. Okay. Now that you know I've spoke it, now that you know that I've set the limits, just know I'm expecting to see exactly what I said. I'll come back at the end of the evening and check on you. Well, when is the evening and morning? Whenever you're done with it, I'll come back and I'll check it out to see if it's good. So Moses could, and Moses, Noah could say, I heard God. And I go, great, so what? I heard God say, build a boat. Great, so what? That doesn't do anything. It's up make you giddy. I heard God say, build a boat this big, this wide, this far out of these trees. Okay, great, dude. I'm glad. Write a book and preach. But at the end of the day, what God said to you, he's expecting it to become a reality, and now it's on your shoulders to pull that thing off. Because God's not building the boat. You are. It tells me something about the kingdom of God. God could do it. But his kingdom nature is he chooses to put the work on you and the voice on him. And so the moment he speaks it, if he speaks it to you to do it, he will empower you, he will gift you, he will fund you, he will send angels to help you. But it's really weird that he sits back with his arms and watches humans do it or not do it. Because that's how his kingdom works. So if you're sitting here praying, God, just send revival, send the angels. He's like, no. I do it through you. You broken, hypocritical people. I chose y'all to do it through. Well, I just don't trust people. They're hypocritical. That's who God picked. You wouldn't have picked gopher trees. You would have done pine. There's a lot more of them, and it's cheaper wood. We always pick differently than God. But what God goes for is the sum of the parts equals the whole. It's everywhere. So the, the Bible, the sum of the parts, if you're not careful and you only pick what God does in the book of Isaiah and formulate a doctrine of God, here's the best. Forget Isaiah, Job. Everybody pulls God out of Job and goes, this is how God is. I'm like, that's a part. That's, that's one part of 66 parts of God. And you just tried to define an eternal being reading the book of Job? You got to have the sum of the whole thing to know who he is. And that's the way God established the kingdom. Here it is. The word is the sound that coordinates the universe. But this is where it gets interesting. Anytime his voice is heard, this hurts, it demands obedience that results in fruitfulness that happens through the process. That's just how God's kingdom works. I know a bunch of people that say they've heard the Lord, but I could fill a wagon up with people who don't obey. I can fill a lot of people who hear God. They, they, they read the Bible, they pray, but their life has ample zero fruit behind it. 
Their wife doesn't like them. Their children doesn't like them. People don't like them. But by God, I can hear the voice of the Lord. I'm a prophet. I'm like, well, you need to produce some fruit because we know a tree by the fruit. So, but, so that here's what really throws people. It's not obedience. People will fight that all day. No, God just loves us all. I'm like, okay, of course he loves us all. But the nature of his kingdom, he demands obedience. Oh, now you're just talking works. Of course I'm talking works. Because he didn't build the boat. Noah built the boat. Of course I'm talking works. Don't think that you can just sit down here and love God and do doodly squat. I'm not talking about getting saved. You are saved freely. He died for you. He didn't ask you for a credit card number, an ATM login. He did it for free. But the moment you say, I believe, he goes, good. I got to work for you. I got some stuff you need to do. Now, you need to obey me and get busy and bear some fruit. Well, it's, I don't want to get into works. Well, then you don't know my kingdom then, and your life's going to be really miserable down here. So you go do you, and, and I'm going to go get other people. I think that's the problem in the kingdom. We made it so sloppy that if you even mention obedience, you must be a Pharisee. You even mention fruitfulness, you must be one of those old, cold Southern Baptist people. But I'll tell you what we hate. You start talking process, we hate it. I don't want to wait. I don't want to press. I don't want to have to go through anything. I don't want to get dirt on me. I don't want to hang out with people I don't like. I want to just do me and God, YOLO, and, and your life. If you do that, you, I'm not saying you're not saved. That's not my issue. My issue is you do that, you're definitely not under the kingdom government. Because a non-obedient, fruitless person isn't in kingdom government. You're in the drug cartel running your own thing. And you might get away with it a while, but... Ultimately, it's not going to go well for you. So the process, what we see here, now remember the word logos became flesh. So what we're going to see is in the creation, Jesus demands all of this too. It's, it's to obey is better than sacrifice. If you love me, you must obey. You will know a tree by its fruit. As a matter of fact, I love you so much, I'm going to prune you so you can bear more fruit. And oh, when are you coming back? Dude, it ain't even for you to know. Why don't you go in the upper room and let me do you with power and we'll work out the process. You just get in it. Amen. So even Jesus pulls this out. We'll see that when we get there. So here's the thinking, if you want to write it down. I tried to use my expertise and put this on your piece of paper, but I couldn't pull it off. I'm not that smart. I worked on it nearly an hour and I'm like, yeah, forget it. So <laughs> not that I don't love you, I just was hurried. So you can write it down. So here's day seven and what God of the six days of what God is trying to say. Here's the sound. God wants fruitful obedience through the process. Amen. So you want to know. If somebody says, what is God's kingdom? Here's what we could say. Okay, his kingdom is his government. Great, we got that. That was week one. What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom are the limits and the ordinances of the universe that regulate the earth. That's day two. What are the limits of that? Well, in the spirit world, the limit is the throne. In the created world, the limit is his voice or the word. So that God begins to establish it all of what he's looking for. Well, let's look at day three, one through three, and day three through six. And let's uh, see what he's trying to tell us. It's interesting. Same verses. I just highlighted different things. Day one, let there be light. There was light. Day two, let there be a firmament. There was a firmament. Day three, let dry land appear and earth, dry land appeared. So here's what we can say by day one through three. The sound that coordinates the universe is that everything God forms, he does it with a purpose. There's nothing on planet earth that doesn't have a purpose. Now here's where it gets interesting everybody's purpose on this room is the same. You are to work for the king. Whether you're a lawyer, a janitor, a construction, a plumber, an electrician, a stay-at-home parent, whatever you are, your job is you have been purposed to bring about the kingdom. We call it your 50 feet. Wherever you are, it's not so God can get money to you so you can go on a vacation 
and invest in real estate and have a really good secondary life. He'll bless you with all of that, but all of that is what Jesus will say, seek my kingdom first. So on everybody in the room, there is a command that there is one thing and one thing only purpose for all of us, and that is that we would seek the kingdom and the kingdom would come from earth, from heaven to earth through my life. Now what I do with my life is not my purpose. Those are my talents. They're my giftings. I'm a good guitar player. I'm a preacher or you're whatever you are. Those are your giftings. Those are your talents. God gave you those because remember the orchestra? He needed some carpenters to get the kingdom done. He needed some teachers to get the kingdom done. So he gifted you in your mother's womb and he gave you things that you're passionate about and he gave you desires. It's why some people, can, like my dad, can just sit there for hours and stare at numbers and tweak numbers and play around with numbers. What are you doing, dad? I'm just doing the money. I'm like, oh my God, that's terrible. How can you sit there staring at numbers like that? That is the most God awful thing a human could do. He's like, well, what are you doing, son? Well, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to get a tattoo. And he looks at me and goes, that is the most God-awful thing I could ever think to do. Dad, have you ever gone to the gym? No, God, I don't need to go. That's why I'm 86. I'm still healthy. You ever had a tattoo? No, I want to go to heaven. I don't need a tattoo. <laughs> and he says to me, have you ever done accounting? No, I don't want to do accounting. I hate it. Well, God needed the kingdom in the accounting world. And he needed the kingdom in whatever world I'm in. I don't know what world I'm in. <laughs> I hadn't figured it out yet. But, but wherever you are, Chris, David, whatever our giftings are, those are not your purpose. So don't say my purpose is to be a doctor. That's what you were gifted with. Your purpose is to take the kingdom into that world. And then God will give you a paycheck for doing it. The devil will pay you to do God's work. That's how weird God is. He takes the devil's money and pays you to go do his work. So when somebody says, do you know your purpose? Well, I've never taken the gift test. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Your purpose is to expand the kingdom. All right? Let's look at the other day three. So here it is now. Day one through three, God forms everything with a purpose. Everything day one through three is he was forming the world. He was bringing up the dirt. He was making the land. He was putting the light in place. He was creating the waters above the firmament below. But he doesn't stop there. And this is where Pentecostals get really excited. Right? Same scriptures. I highlighted them. Let there be lights in the firmament. So now what God starts doing is he's starting to fill everything. And let the waters abound with an abundance of creatures. So now we've got the water above, the water below, but now God starts putting things in the firmament. He created it in day two, and now he's filling it up in day four. He created it in day two and three, and now he's filling it up in day four and five. So God begins to fill it. Day six, he said, let's make man. He starts filling the earth with animals and humans. So here's what we come up with. The sound that coordinates the universe is everything is purposed to be filled. I challenge you, this is my thinking, I challenge you that religion has put a line between purpose and filling. It's called spirit-filled people and dead people. That's how we do it. Oh, you're Baptist. Oh, you're cat. You've never been spirit-filled. Oh, my God, you should be spirit-filled. It's the best thing going. But what we know is before we tout Pentecostal, should you speak in tongues and be filled with the Spirit, and should everybody be filled with the Spirit? And it's for some, but not all. Before we get into all of that hodgepodge of denominational lecturing of what we think is true, let's just go back to the beginning of the creation before we had a Baptist or a Pentecostal. And what we know about his kingdom is everything he forms, he fills. Everything. Day one through three, earth. Day four through six, he fills that earth. 
He speaks to Noah. Noah forms the boat. And when the boat is formed, it says, and God brought the animals and closed them in. What Noah formed from the mind of God, God filled it up. Solomon's temple, he got through building it. And when he formed it and put it there, the Bible says, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So there's a lot of us waiting to be filled. And I go, the reason you don't really ever feel the presence and power of God is you've never let his word really form you. You're wanting something here, but you've never gotten this yet. You've never understood what the limits are. You've never let his word really be the foundation of your life. And so if it's not the foundation of your life, is he obligated to fill you? So even Jesus will start talking about it. You can't pour wine into wineskins. That whole thinking of what is formed is meant to be filled. It's the beginning of the church. And John 20, he breathes on them and he forms them. They become born again. That's what he tells Nicodemus. You must be born again. That's the forming. I have to form you. You're a broken, dead person, but I'm going to breathe on you my life and you will be formed. You will be a new creature. But before you get real giddy about new creatureness, know this, all of you are going to go wait up in that room until you're filled. And not a one of you will come out into the street until what has been formed has been filled. And that is so powerful, no one will lead in my kingdom that has not been filled. He tells us that. They go to, they go to get leaders, and as they're trying to find deacons to help, they're like, look, go out and look among you. And find men that have been filled with the Spirit. So 90% of churches would probably shut down today if that was a prerequisite. For you must be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, tap out. I'm out. I don't believe all that stuff. I think I can be a good Christian without being filled. That's just stupid. That was my word I picked. I picked it purposely as saying day one through three of creation was plenty. And if you stop at day one through three of creation, we got a bunch of water and a bunch of dirt. We got no animals, no puppies, no chihuahuas, no cats, no guinea pigs, nothing. And there's a lot of people that are very content just to be saved and live on planet Earth till he comes back and gets them, not understanding that the reason I saved you was so I could fill you and the reason I filled you was to purpose my glory so my glory could be known every time you wake up to go do what I've called you to do, but you can't do it because you're so selfish of yourself and you sit there and struggle with your theological thinking of not wanting me to fill you because you don't want to go shabba shabba kitty 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 because it blows your mind and so you're willing just to sit there as a dead lump of dirt and water waiting on me to come back that was what I feel God thinks and that's probably me and he probably doesn't think that but it felt good so what is the point of the seven days what is the point of the purpose of God forming the dirt what is his purpose of saving you what is his purpose of filling you it's to make a sound. And when he makes that sound, it is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come to the one day that is different. Totally different than all the others. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host. There you go, formed. The heavens and the earth, they were formed. And all the host of them were filled. You cannot have finished until you've been formed and filled. God cannot rest until he's been formed and filled. Jesus came in the flesh. He was formed in the flesh. He was filled by the Spirit, Luke 4. And he said on the cross, it is finished. I did the work of the kingdom. He was formed. He was filled. It was finished. I believe, I don't know, I'm trying to parse this out in my brain because I, I get this conversation a lot. Do I believe Jesus is coming back soon? I'm like, I don't know. They thought he was coming back the week he died. So what, what is soon? Is soon a hundred years from now? Is it next week? Is it tomorrow? But here's what I'm inclined to believe. I'm inclined to believe we're wishing he would come back and he's inclined to believe that he wished it, I would say, use me and fill me because you, you have no desire for anybody to die on my watch. 
I think that's the key. I, I, I think we're waiting on him to return and he's waiting on us to be used. And we're just fighting a losing battle. He's like, man, I don't want any to die, so I'm just going to wait. What are you waiting on? Y'all. Oh, Mark, come on. Uh, my patience is long-suffering, but I've been waiting 2,000 years here. Get busy. Well, Lord, I'm just tired. I don't like the pastor. He hurt my feelings. I don't like church people either. I'm just going to sit at home and watch YouTube. What? So you're content to be a lump of dirt and water, Mark? Get your hind end up, son. Quit pouting. This is not a daycare. It is a war. Suck it up, boy, and go work, and I will empower you to do my work. I mean, that's rough, and it comes from a man. Get mother up here. She'd be nicer. Y'all need to do this. I don't know. I feel like I'm mad, but I'm not mad at all. I'm just as happy as I can be. So what is God working for? And it, we're going to pick this up next week, so we will dig it deep. He's working for rest. And I would challenge you today that many of God's people love him but are not at rest. They're frustrated. They're broken. They're hurt. They're tired. They're disillusioned. They're depressed. They're anxious. Panic attacks. Sick. And the whole thing God was trying to get us to was a resting point. I'm going to teach you what this is next week. But that was his goal. His goal was to bring us to a place of rest. It's why he, here's where we go next week. It's why he made the Garden of Eden with a gate. There's the limits. He placed the man in it with everything they needed. He gave them the command. He set up the authority, everything we've been talking about. And then he backs away and says, boy, be fruitful and multiply. He had it all set up perfectly well of how it would go down and how it would work. Now that rest on day seven is a precursor of Jesus Christ. That's why I have the equal sign to Jesus because here's what Hebrew will say. Hebrews chapter four. Let us therefore diligently enter the rest lest anyone fall according to the same example. There's disobedience. There's that word again, that expectation, the disobedience for the word of God. There's the word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature, jeez, no creature is hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open and then this in the pink to the eyes of him who we must give an account. What is the sound that creation made when the Logos was heard? Here it is. The sound was everything must give an account. Everything. I created grass. Grass needs to multiply after its kind. Everything gives an account to my word. If I say light, light is. If I say water, water is. If I say land come, land comes. If I say grass multiply, it multiplies. If I say animals reproduce, they reproduce. If I say sun, moon, and stars do the work, then they do the work. So what we know from God's kingdom is he expects everything to give an account. All the way through the Bible, you will find it in his dealings with kings and prophets and judges that he expects you to give an account. Jesus even says, you'll stand before him one day and give an account. That's the hellacious message we preach to scare people into getting saved. You will stand before him one day and give an account. And Jesus says, everything you've ever said. What? Oh, wait. Back that up. Everything you have ever said, every idle word, you will give an account for. Oh, geez. How do you, I don't know how long that, maybe that's why it's called eternity. Because, dear Lord in heaven, every, it has nothing to do with getting into eternity or not. 
It just has to do that God expects of you what he expects of himself. If I say it, I mean it, and it's true, and let your yes be yes and your no be no. But when you get up here, boy, and you played around with all those words I gave you, me and you're going to watch a TV, you're going to give an account of everything you've ever said. Page one, pull it up. How long are we going to be here, God? Look, Mark, you're in eternity. Time doesn't matter, but... I've got right here 17,462 pages. Yeah, so we'll start with page one. <laughs> Everything is to obey. The kingdom is not asking for your opinion. Hey, listen, I really thought you ought to go and say something, but hey, that's whatever you feel, do it. It's just an idea. It was my idea, but if you don't like my idea, you just do you. Like my idea is I hate divorce, but if you're not happy, listen, just toss her away, get on Tinder and swipe right. I mean, there's plenty out there for you, right? I mean, that's just us. I created you to love a male and a female, but if you guys, you don't like that, you just want a male, love a male, y'all go for it, it's good. Because when we say everything gives an account and everything must obey, it makes the way very narrow, and then the way we kill this, if you want to know how to kill the expectation of God, don't label it God, label it Pharisee. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to expect me to obey? Who are you to think that I should be acting this way? I'm not me, God. Everything is to be fruitful, Jesus. Everything is to be formed and everything is to be filled. So what we now start finding out from his kingdom is that he rules supreme in the spirit world with the throne and in the natural world we can see he demands that everything be obedient and give an account to him because he is supreme God Amen. and he doesn't do it to make you miserable remember the the, the um, limits don't come to make you miserable they come to make you fruitful because you're to reproduce the kingdom All right but if you ever want to know what does the word mean what does Logos mean? And we would say Jesus. That's how we define it. So we would say to them, what is Jesus? Who is he? We would say this only begotten son of God. Okay, but what do you mean? Well, I mean he was the one that came to give an account. He gave an account for you. They beat the stew out of him because it was you. He obeyed perfectly because you couldn't. He was fruitful because you couldn't be. He was formed in the womb of Mary to become you. And he was filled. That is what the word did for us. And the Bible says that that word came all the way to the cross and says it is finished. Man, this excites me. And now if I but just believe. Oh God, if I but just say. I, I, here's, here's where it gets sketched. Okay, I can do this. I can obey. I can, oh, I can do it. Here's what you got to come to. No, you can't. There's not a one of you in here that can do this. None of you. If you could, you would be Jesus. This is up here so that you could look at it and go, I'm not doing well. That's the point. The point is you cannot do this. He has to do it for you. So he did. And that is what the word in creation came to do. But the, all of that that God expected out of creation, he expected it of himself. We flunk the test. The son will fulfill the test. Amen. Because of it, here's where we stand. This is the conclusion. The word is the sound that coordinates the universe. Here's what we mean. Everything must give an account to God. Obedience is the command. Fruitfulness is the demand. Process is the plan. And rest is the land. Now all of this was established before God put Adam into the Garden of Eden. And when he puts him in there, he frames him into this. If I could define Eden, I'll, I'll go there next week maybe in this. 
But I would say that the obedience, fruitfulness process and the giving of account would be the four walls that surrounded Eden. But if you were in the four walls, you would be at rest. All right? And then one final scripture and we'll end. I think it'll sum it all up for you right here. Hebrews 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke. There's that voice. In time past to the fathers by the prophets. There's the vessels he would use. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So we know the voice of the father because we get the son come who has appointed him heir of all things. There's that supremeness. He also made the worlds through him, who be in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. He upholds all things by what? The power of his word, when he had by himself purged our sins, that's that given an account, sat down at the right hand, and there's day one, there's the eternal realm, the majesty on high. So what we have here is we have the eternal world represented, the majesty on high. We have the created world represented that, that God is upholding everything by his word. So if we sum it all up, in the eternal realm, the limit is the throne. In the created realm, the limit is the word. And God is going to work us all the way over to Jesus Christ and we'll put a good frame around what is the kingdom of God in totality. Those two are the sum of the parts that are all coming. We'll sum it all out and try to, by the time we get to spring, be able to define it. Hope that helped you. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much.